The Matrix Resurrections is coming out tomorrow. This is the fourth installment in the series, and I, for one, am pretty stoked to go and see it. In the original Matrix, we had one of the most iconic choices ever offered to a character. If you don't already know what I'm talking about, then I'm assuming that you haven't seen the movie, in which case you should quit whatever you're doing right now and go watch it. And then make sure to come back to our podcast. If you have, then of course you know what we're talking about today. Or I I suppose if you just read the title of this episode, then you would also know. Today on Indubitably, we are offering you that same choice that Neo faced. You can take the blue pill, turn off this episode, the story ends. You go back to your life and believe whatever you want to believe. Or you take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and we show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. What makes The Matrix so good is how brilliantly it captures the existential crisis confronting us as a result of living in a world defined by our virtual experiences, interactions, and relationships, all while attempting to operate within economic and political systems that attempt to manipulate and control us at every turn. But beyond just presenting us these troubling realities, it offers us a fantastically clear choice of what we could do about it. Do we take the blue pill and continue to live in blissful ignorance, a cog in the machine that we have no control over, or do we take the red pill and retake control of our own lives, however harsh and unforgiving they may be? To help us explore these questions and hopefully free our minds, I'm here as usual with Kelly, and we're joined by a very special guest. Yes, we are excited to talk to and excited to have join us today, Dr. Jamie Wright, a former professor of rhetoric and a great devotee of simulation. Hi, nice to meet everybody. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. Thanks for being here. Uh, For our listeners, Jamie has done a lot of cool study on philosophers, including Plato and Descartes, whose theories we'll be using as lenses through which to have our discussion today. And perhaps more importantly to The Matrix, she actually did her dissertation on simulation and Jean Baudrillard a French sociologist and cultural theorist who was a prime source of inspiration for the movie. In fact, in one of the opening scenes, Neo has a hollowed-out book in which he keeps a stash of money and discs, and that book is Simulacra and Simulation, which is largely considered to be Baudrillard's preeminent work. But before we get to some of those more philosophical conversations, let's first lay out the basic choice that we're confronted with, removing it from the matrix and applying it to uh, our world. I would, I would say the real world, but questioning that is kind of the entire point here, isn't it? Essentially, the blue pill represents living in blissful ignorance, a more comfortable life shielded from some of the harsh realities and truths that exist around us. And knowledge of those realities and truths are offered to us through the taking of the red pill. Have you seen Upright Citizens Brigade? Yes. The the series, there is a, a skit they have that's the bucket of truth. And you stick your head in and everybody just emerges screaming from it. <laughs> that's 
That seems like what it would probably be like, I think. <laughs> Is the bucket red? No, no, I think it's just like a, it's just like a milk pail or something like that. But uh, yeah, the, the premise is like, you can look in the bucket of truth and you will know everything, but mm. then you know everything. So mm. at its core, I think the question is, do we want to be exposed to reality or do we want to remain uh, within the matrix or within this simulation of the world? So I think it's probably useful up top that we ask the question then, uh, what is reality? Easy peasy. <laughs> mm, and what is the meaning of life? 42. <laughs> uh, well, y'all go first. What do you think reality is? How would you describe it? I think like how that, would you, what, what do you think it would look like when you see it? Well, I think that there's the conventional understanding of what reality is that people don't actually have to interrogate. They just know what is real because they experience it. And that's, I guess, the crux of this debate is how do you define experience? But touch, feel hear, see, those are the things that kind of define our reality, but that's become increasingly less reliable. I think we've seen a lot of issues with things like deep fakes starting to manipulate what we have known to be real. So uh, personally, I haven't really like interrogated reality too much other than I'm starting to become skeptical of whether or not things that we think are real actually are. And, and that's, I think, interesting about with the pandemic, everything moving to be virtual, that's where reality and the simulation sort of get blurred, I think, the most in society right now. What, what, what we see on social media, what we see on our screens that are always in front of us, practically as, as often as we're awake, that's where it's really hard to parse out what is real and what's a simulation. And this might be a good time to introduce one of the philosophers we'll be talking about, Plato and his allegory of the cave. Because even though he lived a couple thousand years ago, I think that there are some interesting parallels to be drawn between shadows on a wall, which will be explained in a second, and the screens we look at now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the story of the allegory of the cave, he explains that we are, we're sitting in a cave and we're facing a wall the way that we're sitting, we can't see the actual world. Behind us are these capital F forms, love and truth and goodness. I mean, these, you know, these big sort of ideological truths. And all we are seeing is a shadow, a really vague shadow of those truths being cast on the wall by some sort of flame behind us. And we think we're working with true stuff because we're trapped in a cave. Okay. So if we have these capital letter truths or forms casting a, a lesser version of themselves onto a wall as shadows, I think that that's similar to people putting up a, a lesser version of themselves or a, a, a shadowy version of themselves on social media, for example. Right? Look at what my life is. Look at what's important. Right? Here's how I define myself. And people consume that and kind of get sucked into this cave of social media. Do you think that that's an incomplete picture? Or is it actually like a deceptive, misleading picture? And is there like a difference between the completeness and it being untrue? Because a lot of the people who are on social media are projecting an aspirational life that's not actually reflective of how their life really is or things like that. But I think when we're talking about this, this allegory, it sounds a little bit more like we're just getting a whisper of the idea rather than the complete tangible idea. And I think that that's different. First of all, I also reject what Josh just said. Like, it's not like we're truly the, ourselves in front of anybody ever. Mm. Like when like you, the three of us hang out in the real world, like, I'm not going to tell you 
everything like you're just not going to know everything right and there's no way you could and it would be horrifying god forbid we ever see <laughs> each other's true self this would be the bucket right? kelly was talking about <laughs> exactly this would be the screaming <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so uh but i think that's a really good question like whether it's incomplete because it necessarily has to be or it's deceptively representational so i'm gonna i'm gonna expose myself a little bit here <laughs> don't worry it's it's a podcast there's no video um i expose myself as a as a bit of a nerd and what i think is similar to social media that that might be interesting to explore here is i okay somebody i know used to play a lot of world of warcraft and i always found the relationships that people built in games like that online games with people that they've never met before to be pretty fascinating. There are there are people who have literally gotten married to other individuals they've never met and only know through playing these games. And I, I think that if we're talking about what's real and what's not, that might be something interesting to explore as well. Something you miss when you have very strong social connections with people you've never met, there's always the risk that you aren't getting a complete picture of who they are and that you miss some of the elements of friendship you would have otherwise if they were local. But I I think that a a very big criticism of that is that they're not real friendships, but I think that they absolutely are when you've actually experienced them. I think that a lot of the people who critique them haven't actually had friendships like that. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. So I was in, oh my gosh, my friend was in a guild and, um, one of the things for people who don't know uh, on these games is is oftentimes you'll be in in things that are called raids where it might take 25 people to win a raid, to complete a raid, defeat a boss, whatever. And I don't know, I think that you learn things about people even if you haven't met them because you learn uh, what happens when you fail. Do they get angry? Do they quit? Do they keep going? Are they supportive of people that have made mistakes? Um, when it comes time to collect loot, when you defeat the boss, you get loot at the end of it. Are they selfish? Are they always looking to get the gear for themselves or the loot for themselves? Are they are they willing to give it to other people? I, I think so. Even if it's online, these are all character traits that you can you can get a real sense of whether or not the person possesses, which goes which which is as deep as if I were to go to twenty four hour fitness and play basketball. Now I'm trying to prove that I'm not a nerd. Um, if I were to go to twenty four hour fitness and play Too basketball. Late. Um, you know, uh, nobody would question that those friendships, those relationships were real, but, but in reality, the situation is the same. You're working together as a team. How does this work person work on a team? How do they deal with loss? Are they selfish? Do they have a temper, et cetera? Nobody would question that if it happened on a basketball court, but they certainly would question it if it, if it happened online. And I don't think there's that big of a difference between the two. I completely agree. And like I said, you know, I, I know I'm like beating the dead horse, but we're we're never gonna know the real each other. Mm. Like I don't even really know. I mean, that sounds dippy, like a Hallmark card. But like, what the, whatever the hell this is isn't constant. Like it changes all the time. Mm-hmm. So, and that doesn't make it's not immoral. It's not unkind. It's not false. It's just entropy. Mm. We're always in chaos. This could be a whole nother conversation, but knowing reality ignores the fact that reality is not a constant. So there's also some Buddhist ideologies running through not just the movies, but this discussion. And there's a Buddhist quote that I I like, 
And it is, I am, I affirms a self-abiding and separate me presence. Am ignores the fact that all existence is relationship and change. I am, two tiny words, but an enormity of untruth. And I don't know, I just, I, I like it. It, it, it. it suggests that we don't exist other than in the ways that we relate to each other. And also we don't exist in a constant state, but we're always changing. And if that's the case, how do we define something as a constant reality? I was thinking about that kind of recently because the the culmination of who we are as people perceive us right now is based on all of our historical behavior and experiences that people have had with us up to this point. And that I, I truly believe that people do change and people can reach a point where they're very firm that they're not the same person that they used to be. I mean, obviously they're the same like physical being that they were and they carry those experiences with them. But it's not, and that's not even necessarily true if the the ship of Theseus. Oh yeah. I think there's some cells that are permanent. I think that brain cells don't Mm. die and replace themselves, but you know, like skin cells, sure. Mm. But um, which version of ourselves are we right now? And then am I, as people knew me 10 years ago, recognizable when people see me now? So oh man, what is reality? Who would have thought it would be complicated? (laughs) Um So since we're, you know, on the, on the topic of Plato, uh, another philosopher that I'd like to mention, you know, just based on some of the com- uh, Kelly's comments earlier, right. When Jamie asked you to say, you know, what, what would you consider reality? And you mentioned things we can see, things we can touch, right. W- the ways in which our senses interact with the world. I think it, we would do ourselves a disservice not to look for at least a second at Descartes and his idea of the evil demon. <laughs> which basically he posits that if the only way that we have to interact with the world around us is through our senses, there's no way for us to know that those senses aren't being manipulated by, um, I think originally he said God and then decided that God would never be so messed up as to manipulate our senses. So, so transferred his theory over to an evil demon. And if that's the case, and the only way that we can see or define reality is through our senses, but our senses are prone to manipulation, then uh, the basis of what's called Cartesian skepticism, how do we know anything is real? I think that our senses are at least designed to work with our brain to inform us about the world. And hopefully they are giving us accurate information so we can assess predator threats and find out like what to eat and make sure we don't drink like toxic water and things like that. So I'd like to think that our senses are actually doing their job. But think about how many times our senses get it wrong. So if we come out of a hot shower, everything seems colder, you know, for our eyes, we have optical illusions that fool us with just like squiggly lines on a piece of paper. I think that there's plenty of examples of where our senses fail us. Yeah. I think another good example of when something kind of gets misfired in our senses is you hear cases of people who've had limbs amputated, who have phantom pain or Mm -hmm. phantom sensations. And that means that there's something that's going on with their nerve signals, things misfire, miscommunications happen. Our perception of the world is altered by the fact that something inside of us has not accurately represented the facts of the situation. And this is assuming, again, we're saying that our senses are failing, assuming that they are misreading 
the world around us when we don't even, according to Descartes at least, know that the world around us exists in the first place? That's just blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's and that's the that's the idea. Even even if our senses are working quote unquote properly, how can we prove that the information we're getting from them is accurate? I think a lot of people don't feel the need to prove. They just trust without interrogating that. But I bet there are people who probably apply a little more of a critical lens to determining whether or not the things that they are perceiving, touching, sensing are actually real. If they can't trust that the thing that they're touching is actually there, I don't know how they would otherwise prove it. It's a little bit sneaky on Descartes' part because I think most people would give the answer that you gave. What is reality? Well, reality is the world that we interact with. And how do we interact with it as people? All we have are our senses. And so when he calls the senses into question, he's literally breaking the link that we have to reality. And if we can't trust that, there's no other biological way around this. He, he's, he's taken the only tool that we have away from us. If my senses are lying and none of this is actually real, I got to stop payment on a few mortgage checks. <laughs> <laughs> so how does Descartes deal with this? If we have also come to his conclusion that he can't prove anything is real through his senses, how does he prove that anything is real, including himself? And he said that this skepticism that he held, the fact that he was even questioning everything proved that he was real. Um, so I'm sure most of our listeners have heard cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. The ability to form language, the ability to form thoughts, the ability to be skeptical at the very least is something that we can point to as being real. Beyond that, maybe not so much. Maybe it's just shadows on the wall. Maybe it's just images on social media. Maybe it's an evil demon. <laughs> telling us for whatever insane experiment he happens to be running that this is what reality is. But some of this should sound familiar uh, because this is the matrix. That evil demon is the machines pulling the wool over our eyes, creating the matrix that we are all living in as batteries in very creepy and triggering vats of goo. <laughs> Made up of dead people. Oh, oh. yeah. Soylent green, the matrix is people. The matrix is soylent light pink. Yeah. <laughs> With that framework, let's get to the question of red pill or blue pill. And I think there's two versions of this question. The one leads to a more robust discussion. Us having watched the movie, aware of the extent of our choices, what is the simulation and what is reality? And we'll get to that discussion second, as well as an examination afterwards as to whether or not that's even possible. But first, let's take this choice as it was presented to Neo initially with hardly any information. Uh, he had to make this decision, red pill or blue pill, based on a vague feeling that something was off. Um, as Morpheus put it, what you know, you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there like a splinter in your mind driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. 
So with that context, you know, something's up, but you're not sure what, um, Kelly, red pill or blue pill. If I feel like something is off and I can't really explain it, I'm presented with the option of getting an explanation for it. I would probably want the explanation. Hmm. Kelly, red pill, Jamie, how about you? I think honestly, I'm with Kelly. If I didn't know very much about it, and if it was Lawrence Fishburne talking to me, I'd be like, I'm going to do whatever it is you do. I am with you. Yeah, I think there's just something in human nature that curiosity, curiosity killed the cat. There's a lot of uh, references in the Matrix to Alice in Wonderland, um, Mm -hmm. including heading down the rabbit hole. And -hmm. I think there's a part of every human that if you're not sure, you want to find out, you have to scratch that itch. Yeah, I was listening to something recently that there's a pretty substantial truth to the idea that the things that stuck with us the most from childhood are the things that didn't make sense, that we want, we had this urge to figure out that the, mm. the discomfort that that gave us was how it got lodged in our brains. And that can be something really, you know, silly, like not understanding a joke that an adult made. But uh, I think that that sticks with you outside of childhood as well, that when you have that discomfort of not knowing, it's not something you can just shake easily. That's something we need a word for. It's just an idea that's just stuck in your head and you can't get it out. I would call it academia. (laughs) (laughs) And well, the reason, okay, so I say it sort of snarkily, but I also think, I mean, I'm, I'm totally with you, Kelly. I think that people, I think we study the things we're most puzzled by. Mm. I got in and I don't think I realized it until I was kind of in it. Right. Like I was already, I had already taken the red pill and didn't realize I had. Um, so I'm just puzzled by like how people persuade other people to do dumb shit with words. And it happens all the time, all the time against their better interests. Right. Like people are like, yeah, I'll do this and clear like run into traffic because this guy said it and you'll do it. So I'm puzzled Mm. by that. Um, so I think that's part of like, I think I totally buy it. I think something happened or several things happen, you hear stories, whatever, and they stay with you and you do a lot in your life to try and figure out what those things are. And maybe sometimes it's clear like mine. And sometimes it's probably not like people are doing other stuff and acting in a bunch of ways to try and fill those holes. Do you think that humans are in general, uh, inherently optimistic as well? Like there's a belief that if I take this red pill, those holes can be filled. Like the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Like the, the red pill is greener than the blue pill even though it's not true. I don't know, because I don't know that knowing is necessarily a good, like it, to have the, the knowledge satisfied might be comfort to, I, like, I don't know how to articulate this, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to be like making you happy to know something that you didn't know before. It, it, it's, it's answering a question, but the, the answer itself might be like a terrible thing. Mm. Yeah, the desire outweighs the conclusion. And I guess this is where literally curiosity killed the cat. Yeah. It kills marriages. It kills dissertations. It kills, <laughs> it can be so bad in so many ways. Yeah. Like finding out the truth isn't always a fun thing. And yet ever actually. And yet all of us are still saying we'd rather take the red pill. Well, in my Knowing defense, this. it's because I love Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> well, it's also because you framed it like this, the specific way that you have framed it is not really giving us a complete picture of what we're saying yes to. But I I contend that it also acknowledges that there is something off, whether or not we take the red pill. So I would contend that taking the blue pill is kind of pointless unless it can actually wipe the experience because then you you don't know what it is, but you've got a validation that there is something wrong at, at the point that that conversation is even happening. 
the blue pill would need to get away from that itch too. Like it would need to erase that itch. Mm-hmm. Right. And Neo wasn't completely ignorant going into this choice for the most part. He wasn't sure what it was, but he had a metal bug put through his mouth, which also disappeared at one point uh, and then yanked out of his stomach. Um, like some creepy stuff had happened to him before that point that would make me a little bit terrified. I'm not sure. Fair. That's a fair point. I would not be super excited about those events either. Um, but he's like, yep, red pill. Let's do it. <laughs> it is one of the coolest scenes in movies either with Morpheus. It's not just Lawrence Fishburne looking like a badass, but also those glasses he has that stay on somehow. And then the reflection in those glasses of the red pill in one eye and the blue pill in the other eye. Um, pretty neat. Pretty neat scene overall. That movie does so much with reflections. Mm-hmm. I, I just rewatched it last night and it's the, the amount that it plays with, with perceptions through reflections using like the glasses specifically, but also other reflections. It's um, it's subtle in a lot of cases. Anyway, it's just like an artistic comment. It's very impressive. And I know y'all didn't like my social media comments earlier, but again, I think that that Um, is applicable to the way that we see reflections of ourselves. Or even when you go into the matrix, you get to kind of choose how you look. Um, I think that that's similar to how you portray yourself on social media. Mm. All right. But you can, I mean, that's a non-unique critique, Josh. Like I put on mascara, dude. These aren't my real eyelashes. Does that upset and disturb you? Are you, you, is your soul harmed by my eyelashes? These are my real eyelashes. So, (laughs) (laughs) and unfortunately it's a podcast and nobody can see how luxurious they are. I'm just saying, like, I mean, we do all sorts, like, I would always talk to my students about this, like, people want, like, we have an imaginary that a true self is somehow a good thing. But we all know rhetoric, we know to adapt to our audience. If you are always yelling, like you're in a loud train, people are going to hate you, and they're going to stop talking to you. But if you adapt, if you are rhetorically savvy, like you will be the person who will you know, get things done, have a good life. I mean, you know, the true self is overrated. That's not, it shouldn't be something we strive for. I think a true self is actually lots of times pathologically treated with medicine, people who don't adapt. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I have often thought about people who are unapologetically themselves, who seem to have not been pressured and molded by social expectations and how comfortable that must be. To not constantly have to worry about how people are perceiving them. And, you know, there's probably a cost to it too. They probably aren't as relatable to a lot of other people. They maybe don't have as wide a social circle, but they also don't compromise themselves for anybody. So it's a trade-off, but it's very appealing. (laughs) Those are the red pill people. Those are the what? The red pill people. Maybe. So, all right. I think that the question of which pill you would take without a lot of information might have more to do with just human psyche than anything. But let's get to the question. We have all watched the movie. We know what the options are now. We know this is the matrix and we know that this is, this is the simulation. This is what's real. So would your answer change? Kelly, are you still team red pill? So I thought about this because if I knew that the meat I was eating was not actually real meat. I would probably stay in the simulation so I could eat meat again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Jamie's reason is Lawrence Fishburne and (laughs) Kelly's reason is bacon. 
No steak. Like, (laughs) and not just because Cypher eats the steak, but I'm like, wow, I have not had steak in a long time. But if I knew that it was, you know, not real, but it seemed real. I don't know. I would, if I could, I, I would like to have that kind of experience with reality where I knew that it was a harm-free scenario, but it also felt real enough that it was like worth it. Instead of eating that that gruel that they have on their ship, the Nebuchadnezzar, and <laughs> they have or this the gruel, porridge. The gruel that I eat, status quo, is a vegan. So mm. I, I don't know. That's like that's just kind of like a glib thing. But um, I suppose I suppose the answer I should say is the red pill. But I'm also path of least resistance prone. Mm. And so I have a feeling that like, if it came down to it in an actual decision, I would probably be blue pill. I just, I'm a very lazy person. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, so Kelly switches with once all the information's in front of her, potentially blue pill, Jamie, how about you? Blue pill all the way. Yeah, really? Okay. And, and the thing is here, I, I don't think there is harm in the simulation. If you die in the matrix, you die in the world. Mm-hmm. If you cut, I mean, I don't want to quote Shakespeare, but like everybody's still bleeding here. There's still abuse. There's still murder. There's, you know what I mean? Like there's costs. And this is another thing that I think it's really important that we recognize in the discussions of these theories of simulation. Baudrillard was never saying there wasn't blood in these places. Um, and actually, I'm going to I'm going to sound a little bit glib, but you guys know who Reggie Watts is? The, with the big this guy with all the hair yeah he does the <laughs> yeah. music stuff yeah yeah mm-hmm. um one of his bits this is from years ago he talks about how um he says and yes we live in a simulation but it's a good one and i'm like I'm with you reggie pretty good one mm. i mean given what the options are at this point um i don't think I, I don't think kelly that you're taking the path of least resistance i think i think there's still costs here there's still really big questions that get asked and have to be answered in some way. Mm-hmm. We still have all of our interpersonal things in this, assuming that this is the matrix we're talking about, all of the other people we operate with are people. So even though I'm eating imaginary steak, I am still pissing off real people when I um, get in their face with my opinions. So yeah. And there's a dead cow now in some part of the world, in some part of the real world, there's a dead cow. Maybe. Wait, does that count? Does, do animals? I don't think so. I think that I think that they're all simulated and they're it's all just, just part of the program. The nutrient goo. So it's yeah, a computer cow, no harm. And that's why uh, they said maybe maybe the machines couldn't figure out what chicken tastes like, and that's why chicken tastes like everything. <laughs> it, this I is funny because I, I actually literally in my notes right here, I had uh, I wrote, I'm going to say something controversial because I thought that both of you would say red pill. And, um, what I was thinking is that most people want to be a red pill person, but most people are not a red pill person. They would actually be happier taking the blue pill. And, uh, I, I guess Kelly, that's actually, I guess it's not controversial because that seems to be, um, the stance you're taking. I, I am purely, I am purely answering that way out of self-interest. I think that the right thing to do is if we do agree that it's pernicious, that keeping people as batteries is an evil and that these people will be better off that they're free, then I have an obligation to take the red pill. I've done a lot for other people in my life. This is one thing I'm not going to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that the the question there is, do we care more about principles, values, 
what's right, what's wrong, self-actualization, if you value those things, you would be the red pill person, but you have to value them more than comfort, instant gratification, and physical pleasure. But you guys are here in the simulation. Do you have comfort, instant gratification, and physical pleasure all the time, or do you stub your toes? Well, this is a sh- this is a shitty simulation. Yeah, I mean, like the alternative <laughs> to this sounds worse, even though like this is not an especially like amazing situation to be in. I like like Cipher wants to come back as like somebody rich and famous, right? Mm-hmm. We're not we're not that. Um, we have to deal with like real life and there's like lots of it that sucks. However, I'm, I have a roof over my head. I've got a mug of tea. I've got my cats. Like there, there are very few things I actually want for in this. And I know Mm -hmm. that the alternative would rob me of all that. And I really want to hold on to those things. Oh, tell, tell our listeners what kind of tea it is too, because it sounds delicious. It is Tazo's glazed lemon loaf, which is made like as to be a Starbucks dessert, but it does not have animal products in it. So I can actually consume it and it is delicious. (laughs) It's like cake. You can drink basically. (laughs) So there's, there's a couple of questions here. One is on the principled side of things. And then the other would be on the physical pleasure side of things. So on the principle what you were mentioning, Kelly, if if this was the movie The Matrix and you knew that you were being kept as a battery or basically in slavery, would you still be willing to just stay in that system if your mind was taken care of by the simulation? The very passive form of slavery. Well, you can't you can't leave, you can't move, you can't but the labor expectation is minimal, right? <laughs> so I suppose if it's if it's just like the amount of calories you need to burn to do what they want you to do, then it's not very much. But if it's your choice and personal autonomy is limited, it's a lot. I think you're oversimplifying. I think that assuming that the red pill is principled and the blue pill is laziness, I think is a lazy mm-hmm. way to think about it. So maybe, I mean, because the thing is, it's not like, again, the simulation has slavery in it. Mm-hmm. The simulation that we're in has punishment and pain and child abuse and and rape and I mean all the nuclear holocaust. Like we're in a pretty scary place. I guess my point. I guess my point is that does does knowing that you're being used affect your decision? I'm being used right now, dude. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, mm. and I mean, we're capital. Like we function. Like I yeah. buy a bunch of Christmas presents because I'm supposed to. And people don't understand the ways in which they're being used because a lot of the framing around it has made it seem like they're engaging with something freely, but like people don't understand that they are the product on things like Facebook, that it's a free website because they're basically exposed to advertisements the entire time that they engage with it because they're the product they're being bought and sold. Um, and we're technically free, right? Okay. Well, well, th- so this is a, this taking the discussion this direction is sort of conflating the matrix living in that simulation versus living in the world we're in now which are literally the matrix was designed to mirror the world we're living in now after the failed version of it that was apparently amazing and our brains rejected it good job brains way to fuck it up for everybody um but i think that the, the question here at least in the movie would be you have a more comfortable version that yes, has some of these issues, but the choice of taking the red pill puts you into this post-apocalyptic flying around in spaceships, like chased down by killer squid robots. 
that, <laughs> that fly. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't think the decision is really interesting if it's a decision between a fake world that looks exactly like the real world and a real world that looks exactly like the fake world, which is something we'll talk about later. But so if the decision is between this post-apocalyptic real world where you have agency or 1999 uh, in the matrix, then do these ideas of principles change your decision at all? Like I'm comfortable, but I'm a battery versus I can do what I want. I'll probably get murdered, but (laughs) by flying squid. Can you really do what you want? There's, there's no infrastructure. I can't go shopping. Like (laughs) you can't go to the beach. You can't like make out with people. You're in like a ship with cypher. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like these are your options. Like I want, I mean, you're, you're free ish, just like you're free ish here. (laughs) I guess your, your mind is free, Mm -hmm. but I, I would say that if you're making a comparison with the degrees of freedom, the perception, the experience of freedom, I think is improved upon by being in the matrix. One thing I would say that would totally persuade me to take the red pill is if I could plug in and know karate and like how to fly a helicopter. Like I know Latin and also how to knit. Like just plug that shit in. I'm good. That would be awesome. That would, that, that would be would pretty pretty yeah. sick. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. So let, let's say, so you're both, you're both now in this, in this version of the question, leaning blue pill for the red pill people, which I guess is just me, but to, to give, I'm sure we have some listeners that would choose the red pill. The, the next question I had was, is your red pill choice absolute? Or if you were a red pill person, is there a quality of life? Do you think that the blue pill, the simulation could reach that could change your mind? Right? So on one hand, we have the people that want to live in the simulation. Is there some sort of principled argument that could break them out of that decision? On the other hand, we have these principled people who I don't want to live as a battery and you know, this is the right thing to do. And I want to be able to self-actualize, but, and this is where Cypher comes into it, right? Cypher is the person that betrayed Neo, betrayed the Nebuchadnezzar, had this meeting with Agent Smith, one of the best villains of all time, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, and during this conversation, he was saying, all right, I'm going to go back in, but I don't want to remember anything. I want to be pretty famous, something important, like an actor. I want to be comfortable. So do you think for the red pill people, there's a, a certain standard of living that could convince them to basically throw all of their morals aside and all of their principles aside and plug back into the matrix? So I think one of my big criticisms of the way that Cypher approaches this is that he doesn't want to remember anything. And I think that if I was in that position, I would probably want to remember. So I would know by comparison how much better it was to be reintegrated into the matrix. And I know that that means that the suspension of disbelief like would have to be a willful thing rather than a programmed thing. But I think that would be my preference. I don't know. I think that everybody's going to have their own personal level of what the standard of living would have to be. Like I would say baseline, it's enough for me, obviously. But like for people who have these ethical quandaries, they probably would want something much grander than what I would want. But I couldn't say like, I couldn't say like what that was. 
if we were to take this to the real world, because, you know, arguably this is a choice. It's not just a movie. The reason the movie is so popular is because it's a choice that people see in their everyday lives. I'm a big fan of following the uh, hashtag van life uh, on the social medias. And I think that a lot of van lifers see themselves as maybe taking the red pill, trying to leave behind capitalism, leave behind the the simulation that we're living in and getting back to a, a pure form of living. Just kind of out in the mountains. Is this like the Francis McDermott movie, the Nomads movie? Is that what you're talking exactly, about? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the movie Nomadland, and it's it's a fantastic movie for for anybody that hasn't seen it, and very realistic towards the group of people who experiences van life in its purest form. So one of the actors, if you could call him that, in this particular movie, Bob Wells, is a legitimate van life YouTuber that provides uh, a bunch of instructional content on how to live and also just sort of interviewing in a, in a Humans of New York style format where he talks to various people who are living on the road, what made them do it, what benefits they seem for van life. And so they pulled this guy to basically play himself in Nomadland. So Kelly was just talking about like, we were talking about effort, right? Um, I, maybe there's something like the red pill, blue pill simplifies everything to like a ridiculous moment, right? Like I don't have to do anything for any part of that, except just take this pill that this dude is handing me versus like nomad land where they have to make all these choices and do all these things. It's not revelation. It's slowly earned knowledge. It's hard work. Mm-hmm. That's I can, that's a red pill. I would much prefer than just this idea that you can just know it when they shine the light on it. Mm. That's an, that's an old idea. It's a false idea. And it does work for other, like it doesn't work for, it's not good for us. It's not good for us to have that imaginary. Mm. But the, so the reason I bring up van life in the context of the red pill, blue pill is because uh, there are these people out here that are legitimate red pillars, but the van life movement has kind of been co-opted by people who now, instead of living out of kind of a minimalist van, these builds are getting more and more elaborate to where literally people are driving around in sprinter vans whose interior is literally nicer than my apartment. And it, it, it seems as though that people who want to be red pillars, um, or at least they want to want to be red pillars, slowly have this creep back towards blue. And I think that's what Cypher represents is he took the red pill originally, he quote unquote freed himself. And then after however many years of living in the real world, he was like, fuck this, this is horrible. I want to be back into the simulation. And I think that's the reality of most people. Along with this notion of the simulation is Baudrillard's notion of seduction. It generally, like the blue pill, red pill option that Morpheus provides in the movie, doesn't give you all the information at the get. Like you don't get all of it. And that's the reason why. And it's not manipulation where they selectively pull stuff out. Seduction is me trying to convince you that you're doing it right. And so I think that the idea of like what you're talking about, people getting seduced back into the blue pill, that's the nature of the simulation. That's how it works. It's always already going to be luring you back. Because I mean, nobody, you know, I don't want to see the true form of love. It's going to be frightening and big. And I can't even imagine what it would look like. But that seduction is really hard to escape if it's at all possible to do so. Like it's always going to be haunting us, the blue pill. So we have, some of us think blue pill, some of us think red pill. 
But one thing I think would be interesting to look at is what if everybody made the same choice? To bring up another philosopher, uh, Kant, the Kantian imperative or categorical imperative suggests that the morality of a decision is based uh, you know, on the idea that if everybody were to make the same decision, the world would be a better or worse place. So what do you guys think? Not, not your own personal opinions, but do you think the world would be a better place if everybody were to take the red pill or if everybody were to take the blue pill? Essentially, uh, on one side, everybody taking the red pill, theoretically, the matrix would be destroyed. The simulation would be dismantled. Uh, or I, I guess if everybody were to take the blue pill, the robots have won the war and achieved 100% assimilation. Categorical comparative, also bullshit. <laughs> like <laughs> situational reasoning is it's like you have like, to function in the world, dude, you have to be situational. You have to, you have to. And while Kant's idea is seductive, again, it's not only not possible, it's not desirable. Okay. So what do you do when the matrix blows up? You have to accept a loss of human life probably all right as a as a cost of it okay and then what do you do if the robots win the war and achieve universal assimilation have a stake <laughs> okay and which of those two options do you prefer i don't want the babies dying and being orphans <laughs> like they're already all right. orphans like i don't know there you go Ugh, then, you, then you're capable See, of I answering the question i complicated See, it didn't have to be complicated <laughs> do you want orphans or steak i bow down to our <laughs> robot overlords i'm clearly a fan of robot overlords mm. this is especially pertinent because our last episode i expressed like a deep discomfort at the idea of robot overlords and i actually still feel very uncomfortable with that but i'm also thinking about what kind of world would these people be inheriting if they're all suddenly unplugged? They'd be coming into a place with no arable land that the actual like nutritional needs that were met for them by the robot overlords would disappear. How do they survive? How does, how do they sustain themselves? How do they get their artistically shredded sweaters? Like, I just don't understand (laughs) where this is all going to come from. I mean, to be fair, the same food source they've been surviving off of, it'd still be around. No. That's the world you want with the blue pill. You just don't want to know about it. Doesn't change that it's <laughs> I mean, and that's and that's like at its at its simplest, Cypher puts it best when he says the matrix is just ignorance is bliss. Right? Like at its yeah. at its very simplest form, that's the red pill, blue pill debate. Is do you believe that ignorance is bliss or not? Yeah. It's too categorical. I don't want to have to say yes or no. I, re- I reject the question. Mm. Well, but then how do you pick and choose when you know and when you don't know unless you're out of the simulation? The desire to make different decisions in different scenarios requires a certain level of, of self-awareness or, or situational awareness that you don't have if you're in the simulation. But then if you're out of the simulation, then you can't unknow those situations where you would rather be ignorant. I think that exists for us because there are questions that we could ask that we don't because we don't want to know the answer to. Mm. Yes. So I think that there is a way to kind of like be ambivalent and not like indifferent, but be of the two worlds. And I think I would prefer that if that's feasible in some way or another. I guess taking it away from the analogy and applying it to the real world, I guess that's possible. But we are living in the matrix. (laughs) <laughs> and I think apparently so. I, I think that that might be an, an interesting segue into the the last thing that we wanted to talk about in this episode. And Jamie's been mentioning Baudrillard 
throughout the episode. And um, to give a, a little bit more background on him, he's actually a modern philosopher uh, that the Wachowskis credit a lot of the Matrix to his theories and, and his philosophies. And certainly some of what he talks about applies to the Matrix, but when asked directly what he thought of the movie, he was he was pretty critical. And in fact, they approached him to consult on the second and third installment, and he turned them down. And so he talks a lot uh, in in the book that we mentioned that was that was literally shown in one of the opening scenes where Neo was getting his money and and secret discs out of uh, simulacra and simulation. He talks a lot about what is real and what is not, but his theories on this would suggest that it is impossible to delineate between the two, which is what the matrix does and what we've been doing in this, in this conversation thus far for the sake of at least some level of simplicity. Let's just start with some of the first assumptions that we make when we use words like reality and simulation. Those are like, when you make that division, you're already in the simulation, I would suggest, um, because those notions themselves are created by various powers to do various things. His theory um, is that we underestimated the power of the object, and that in- includes language, but also leads up to things like virtual interaction like this, like cars, nukes, like all that stuff. Like we never know how much we're being worked on by the things outside of us. And I think I think that was a that was a transition from earlier philosophers that had us being the subject as sort of the center of their philosophies, right? Like we interacted, mm-hmm. we controlled the world to some extent and questions were how should we control the world versus his shift was more putting the object at the center of everything and looking at how the object controls us. Yeah, this is he's answering Descartes by saying you're there's no proof that you are real mm-hmm. because you are, in order to say that you have to have language, which is already a situation that you didn't have any control over. Mm-hmm. People assume, and I think pretty much everybody assumes, or at least we're taught to assume, that if you just tell someone the correct thing in the right way, they'll see it and get it, and it will be that simple. But all sorts of things like ideological structures, material concerns, um, perceptions of good and bad, I mean, all these things that are sort of structurally oriented for us to already be existing in, prevent that kind of revelation. And in fact, kind of makes people who try to do that revelation thing, like this is how it is, sound kind of crazy sometimes. So the red pill, blue pill debate, I think is all about the sort of, we wish there would be an equation that would show us what the truth actually is. And and this is, I think, one example of the ways in which he suggests that now there is only simulation. Right. So he he views the matrix yeah. as being overly simplistic, more analogous to Plato's cave, where the choice between the red pill and the blue pill is clear. You have to just leave the cave. Um, he he's suggesting that there is no cave to leave. Everything is cave and everything is outside at the same time. Right. It's the simulacrum. So it's a thing that doesn't have an origin an original. So it's a it's a map of no country that we live in. There's no thing that there was before. It's just this other thing. Mm-hmm. And as and this and, and I think we can see this through the discussion too. Us living in the real world, you know, throughout this episode, we we've kind of had a hard time of saying, 
okay, well, we'd like to choose this option, but really it's not that different from the other option, right? So as we try to create this red pill, blue pill debate, we also wrestle with the idea that neither of these two realities is so disparate from each other as they might want it to appear inside of the matrix. Baudrillard, he he was quoted as saying about the matrix that the matrix is surely the kind of film about the matrix that the matrix would have been able to produce. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The Baudrillard's basic argument is that we can't get out of it unless there's like a rupture. There has to be a catastrophe. It has to be a world ending shift for us to get out of this. Hmm. I'm trying to think of a way in which there could be a world ending catastrophe that would eliminate any of those created things that are the, the, the objects that you're talking about. And I don't see how that's possible because if you're ever around any other human being, then there's going to be remnants of those things, whether it's through language or like social norms or whatever. So even then would it have to be so catastrophic that you're permanently isolated from all other people and all other people are also isolated? I mean, maybe that's the thing. And so we're talking about like in, in the matrix or the Nebuchadnezzar, that's a pretty big trauma to be, to wake up and find out that you're in like a gelatinous food source of dead people. And then you just get ejaculated into like a pond. <laughs> that might be, that might, that might shake you up a little. That might change things a little bit about how you see the world. So that's a very artistic answer. word choice there. <laughs> you know what I, what I hate about this is I came into this conversation like, oh, for sure. Obviously we're all going to go red pill. <laughs> and my tenuous grasp on that red pill has been fading slowly throughout the course of this discussion. Like, no. Nah, steak. (laughs) (laughs) I actually am surprised that I'm not the only blue pill. And I am also surprised, Josh, knowing you that you have any stance other than being staunchly red pill, even despite this discussion, just, I I feel like that would be something I would have expected is that you are red pill thoroughly. Mm. If I wasn't at least Morpheus level of Kung Fu, I think I would want to be blue pill because pretty much everybody <laughs> else dies. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually like uh, hearing people change their minds in situations like this is always, unfortunately, uh, a nice, pleasant surprise. Mm. So, I mean, and all of us kind of were like waffling. I'm still kind of with the blue pill thing, but now I don't know. I like the idea of Kung Fu and I like the idea of like, you know, breaking out of this. Like if it's possible, it'd be cool if that could happen. Maybe the red pill is very romantic. Is Always it? has been. Well, because yeah, revelation, it, baby. It's yeah. It's that. It's that idea that there's there's a question that needs to be answered, and I think there's always like a hope that that question would reveal something more to you. There's more to this world. There's more to me. Maybe I'm the one. You know, I think those ideas are are appealing. If taking the red pill was not the result that we get in the matrix, remember back at the very beginning when we didn't know any specifics. And we had that itch. I was red pill for that, mm-hmm. for the satisfying conclusion of the, of the issue. I think if I knew that the answer would make my life better and not just in terms of knowing something that I didn't know before, but actually like making me a more comfortable, happy person, then I would be red pill, but I don't see that as being the case in this particular situation. Mm. And I think at the end of this, 
that's probably the point is that the simulations are designed specifically to make us more comfortable, right? Whether it be physically or to just put our minds in a state of being where we can ignore the horrible things that are happening in the real world. Uh, so I think anytime there was a choice between reality and simulation, the simulation will always be more comfortable. Otherwise, why would we create it and why would we allow it to continue to propagate? Even if that reality is not authentic, at least in the short term, it gives us the ability to fool ourselves into thinking things are better. And so I, I think that the red pill, blue pill choice will always be harsh realities versus blissful ignorance. No, there you I have it. I still don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> this well, has been super fun though. Yeah. The, uh, the, the second easiest way to bring yourself to reality is to listen to this podcast. And if you'd like to hear updates uh, so you can get this and other um, cool episodes, then you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at IndubitablyPod. As usual, thanks for listening and have a fantastic holiday season. Do not try and bend the spoon. That's impossible. Instead, only try to realize the truth. What truth? There is no spoon.